You may be seated. Children, four years through sixth grade, you can go back to room six with Miss Priscilla for KWC Junior. Or actually, it's Miss Carol today. Priscilla's like, I'm sitting here. <laughs> so you guys can be dismissed. Parents, grandparents, you can pick them up in room six. I noticed, I don't know if anybody else noticed, the peace candle went out. And here's the deal. Sometimes God ignites peace in our hearts and life. And through different events or whatever it may be, that flame gets extinguished. And when that flame gets extinguished, we can become an ugly Christmas sweater. And last week we started the series talking about ugly Christmas sweaters and the ugly Christmas sweater of unbelief. And that we need to embrace the beauty of hope by believing in God's power and promises. I think maybe it's going to stay lit. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. But more than just keeping an eye on the, the peace candle, I want us to think about our own hearts and, and life. Today I want to talk about an ugly sweater that is very prominent this time of year. And I'm not talking about this ugly sweater. That was really popular last week for our ugly Christmas sweater party. And, and I had a blast, and I really appreciate those that jumped off into the deep end with me last week and said, hey, let's get into this. Let's wear our ugly Christmas sweaters. And some of you even went out to thrift stores and bought bought one, and, and some of you even went and didn't go to the thrift store. You, you paid extra money to have that. Um, but thank you, and, and I totally understand those that like, I'm not spending money to have something like that, because <laughs> there's not very many times that I would wear that, so I'll just buy something that, that I'm going to wear more, more often, and I totally understand that. Here's what I said last week, and, and you'll hear this as we go through the next few weeks. When it comes to ugly Christmas sweaters, wear one, but don't be one, right? Th there's an ugly Christmas sweater that is very prominent this time of year, and we're going to talk about it today in an alternative to living. Here's our theme verse for today. Theme verse is Proverbs 14.30. This is what we're going to be going after for our time together today. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's really important that this verse sinks in. Not just the words, but the truth of this verse. I think it might be helpful if you would repeat this verse with me this morning. If you would, help me out with this. A heart at peace gives life to the body, 
but envy rots the bones. One more time, if you would. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Thank you so much for class participation today. A heart at peace. That is an option. That's what's on the table. Our, our heart can be filled with peace. And when our heart is filled with peace, we experience life, right? We experience the life that that peace brings. But there's an alternative, an ugly alternative. We can allow our lives to rot away because of envy. You, you've probably heard the phrase before, they're green with envy. Okay. I'm going to kind of take that and adjust it, and based on our scripture verse that is our theme for today, I think that we could actually say they are gangrene with envy, because gangrene, like gangrene eats away at, at our being, envy rots the bones, and envy is ugly. Here's a definition for envy that I've adopted and adapted, made a couple changes, but I will uh, just let you know that, that it's not completely my own. But envy is resenting the good in others' lives while overlooking the good in mine. So there are two rivers, if you will, that are raging and together they form a tsunami. There's, there's the resenting the good in others' lives. I, I see something good in their life, and I don't think they deserve it, right? That's resenting the good in others' lives. It might be their house. It might be their spouse. It might be their job and, and what they earn. It, it could be a lot of different things. It could be their looks. It could be their popularity, but whatever the case is, you resent them. There's jealousy that has grown into resentment. Resent the good in others' lives, and that is a raging river that forms and connects with another raging river, and that is overlooking the good in your own. You, you fail to see, you fail to recognize God's goodness in your own life, whether it is because you just believe that you deserve everything you have, so there's entitlement, and so you're not thankful for what you have, because you believe that you deserve everything that you have and more, and or you just have fail to stop and smell the roses and think about, reflect on how good God has really been to you. And when those two rivers converge, it creates a tsunami of a mess called envy. And that's what we see in Psalm 73. If you want to grab your Bible, if you haven't already, encourage you to turn there. Because we see that when we get ugly, we get ugly when our lives are marked by envy. That's what the psalmist says. That when our lives are marked by envy, we get ugly. 
it rots the bones. And that's what we see in Psalm 73. We'll look at a couple other passages to help us better understand exactly what's going on in our psalm or in our proverb for today. But in Psalm 73, page 414, if you didn't bring a Bible or, or a smartphone, uh, tablet with the Bible app, you want to follow along, love for you to follow along. We're not going to look at all of chapter 73. We're going to skip through some verses for the sake of time and to, to point out some things that, that we really want to go after today. But I'd love for you to be able to see it for yourself. And we'll read about somebody that recognized the ugliness, the ugly sweater that had become their life. And see that as they found that there was an alternative, that they didn't have to continue being an ugly sweater. And then we'll also take a look at Philippians chapter 4. And so if you want to take your Bible and, and mark there in Psalm 73 and already have it marked for Philippians for a little bit, that's fine. Or you can turn there later, whatever works best for you. But let's start with Psalm 73. The psalmist Asaph writes these words. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now verse 1 is not really where Asaph is beginning. It's where this psalm begins, but this is not where the story begins. This is where the story actually ends. This is Asaph's conclusion. His conclusion is surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, and he is putting himself in that category. Yes, God, you have been good to me. Surely I see it now. How many of you would say, yes, surely God is good to me? Amen? But how many of you would say you haven't always seen his goodness in your life? You haven't always recognized his goodness. Perhaps, like Asaph, you had almost slipped. You had almost got carried off in the tsunami of envy. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I, here's our word, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they have no struggles. Their, their bodies are strong. Like, nothing bad happens to them. They're horrible, but nothing bad happens to them. Like, they just have good stuff happen to them. And so he's envying them. We, we see these two rivers converging in Asaph's life. He looks at the good in others. And he's resenting that. And he looks at his own life. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. Like, like they have it good, and he resents it. He doesn't have it as good as he thinks he deserves. And those two have come together and creating something in Asaph, and it's not 
pretty. He sees that himself. Verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I, I see now, and I believe that the Holy Spirit essentially kind of held up a mirror to him. He's like, ooh, that's ugly. Like, that's an ugly Christmas sweater. But he uses the words, I was a brute beast before you. That's what envy does in our heart and life. Envy was eating away at him like gangrene. He's resenting the good in others' lives while overlooking the good in his own heart. And in his heart, there's no peace. There's envy. And Asaph can testify that we get ugly when our lives are marked by envy. That's what Psalm 73 is. And it provides some great insight into where envy usually comes from. We talk about these two rivers, right, that converge to create this great tsunami of destruction known as envy. Here's something that I've learned and, and somebody else has pointed out, but envy is often rooted in a misunderstanding of justice, right? We have the, the saying, justice is blind. A lot of times our blindness is what creates envy. Here's what happens. We become resentful of others because we see what's going on, we see the good in their lives, and we make a judgment, we make a determination, they don't deserve that. Have, have you been there before? They don't deserve to have such a nice house. They don't deserve that husband or that wife. They don't deserve a raise. They don't deserve to start on the team. They don't deserve, and you can fill in the blank with whatever, because you've made a judgment based on what you know of this individual, their circumstances, their situation. You've made a judgment that they don't deserve what they have. And the truth of the matter is, you end up resenting them for what they do have, because in your heart, you believe that they don't deserve it. Has anybody else done that before? I have. Okay. So there's, there's a misunderstanding of judgment. We think we know what they deserve. What they have is not what they deserve. And that's a problem. That creates angst within us. There's also this misunderstanding of justice when it comes to us. We are blind, and Asaph, Asaph owns this. He acknowledges it. He was ignorant. He was blind to God's goodness in his own life. He wasn't aware. He wasn't acknowledging how good God had been to him. And the misunderstanding of justice is, so on one side we're saying they have more than what they deserve. They don't deserve life that good because, really, they're not that good. They're bad. And then on the other hand is, I deserve more. 
they deserve less according to my judgment and I deserve more according to my judgment. Because I've done what's right. Look at how good I am. Whatever the case may be. And when we have those two attitudes come together, that's envy. And it gets real ugly and it rots the bones. It rots the core of who we are. Asaph sees this. He understands it. He sees that he's become a brute beast. He's become, as we're talking about in this, this series, an ugly Christmas sweater. He's resenting the good in others' lives while overlooking the good in his own. They don't deserve it, and I deserve more. And then he comes to a conclusion that there's another way to live. There's an alternative. I don't have to be an ugly Christmas sweater. I don't have to be a brute beast. Look at verse 23. He says this, yet, here's the conclusion, yet I am always with you. Who's the you he's talking about? The Lord. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Asaph's no longer looking at what he doesn't have. He's looking at who he does have. You, you see, envy comes when we're looking at, we're focusing on, we're thinking about what we don't have. They have that. They don't deserve that. I want that. Envy starts oftentimes, there's this misunderstanding of justice, but there's also like, envy usually starts with a seed of jealousy. I want what they have. And then we get this idea, well, and they don't deserve what they have. And so I resent that they have it and I don't have it. And overlooking the good in my own, and Asaph's like, wait a minute, let's pull this back. And like, actually, I have everything I need and more. I've got the Lord. I, you're always with me. You, you hold my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Oh, oh church, do you, do you need comforted today? May your heart rest in the God who holds you by the hand. Do you need wisdom to navigate life? May your mind be calmed by the God who provides guidance. Do you need assurance about eternity? May you be filled with an unconquerable confidence in the God who will take you into glory. Asaph had peace. Because he came to the point of realization of what he had in God. That it wasn't a matter of what he didn't have, but who he did have. The change is palpable. You can see it. You can, like, you can almost taste it. He, he's no longer playing the part of a brute beast or an ugly Christmas sweater. There's an unmistakable peace that's enveloped Asaph. Check out verse 25. He continues, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. <laughs> I've got all I need. I've got him, and he's got me. What else 
what else could I really want? Asaph has learned something that the Apostle Paul learned also. We see in Philippians chapter 4, if you need a KWC Bible, it's page 832. Love for you to be able to uh, take a look at that as I read from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up with the second part of verse 11. Paul writes these words, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've, I've been on both sides of things. I've been dirt poor, and I've been pretty well off. I've been rich, what many people would say. That's what Paul's saying. I, I've learned the secret of being content, he continues. In any and every situation, it, it doesn't matter whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he concludes with this verse that's often taken out of context. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content. I can have peace no matter what. No matter what. I've learned to have peace. Paul's describing contentment. And as we understand it, as Paul's writing, we see that it's the antithesis of envy. I think contentment can be defined this way. I didn't put this in your notes, but there's plenty of room for you to to write this down if you like. Contentment is possessing an internal peace that is independent of external possessions. Paul got to the place where it's not a matter of, I I have to have more, I have to have this in order to have peace. If I just get this new house, if I just had this paid off, if I just had that, then, then I can rest, then I'm secure. I don't have to chase after this, I don't have to chase after that, I don't have to resent that I don't have this or that. I've got peace. How did he have that peace? He possessed an internal peace that's independent of external possessions because Paul had Christ. He says the secret of being content. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength or who strengthens me. It all goes back to his relationship with God and being filled by God, being completed by God, being, being satisfied with who he had and what he had in the presence and the provision of God. That's that's what our key verse really tells us, right? A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. The Apostle Paul had learned how to have peace within. Asaph had learned how to have peace within. Within Job 5 2, we see that one of Job's friends had some great wisdom when it comes to resentment and envy. He says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Paul and Asaph would tell us that we overcome resentment with contentment. We overcome resentment with contentment. When you possess an internal peace that's independent of external possessions, it gives life instead of taking it. So what's the key to being content? 
Paul tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all this, I can be content, I can have a heart at peace through Christ who gives me strength. Paul's learned that God's presence and provision give an internal peace that's independent of external possessions. Paul no longer has to resent what others have. He's not overlooking what he has. He recognizes who he has. And when you have Jesus, you have all that you need and more. Amen? So Paul learned that, but also Asaph had learned that. Let's go back to Psalm 73, and we'll look at Asaph's conclusion. Verse 27, we'll, we'll pick it up there. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. I want you to see what Asaph is saying here. You see, envy often comes, is rooted in a misunderstanding of justice. Asaph had explained why he resented what others had. He, he didn't feel like they deserved what they had. He felt like not only did they have more than what he had, but they didn't experience, they weren't experiencing what he was experiencing. They have all this good and no trouble. And that's not fair. And Asaph resented that in others. And now he sees things differently. And he understands that, <laughs> that only God has the perfect understanding of what is just, what is right, what is fair. And that he's going to trust God in God's justice to do what God determines to do. That if God wants to bless somebody, let God bless them. If somebody doesn't deserve a blessing, let God take care of that. Let God make that decision. So in verse 27, Asaph is essentially saying, you know what? Instead of resenting them, I'm just going to put them in your hands. I'm going to trust that you will do what you need to do in their life. And that they will get whatever you determine they deserve. I'm no longer going to sit on that seat of judgment. Thinking that I know what somebody deserves or doesn't deserve. And oh church, if we could... Follow Asaph's lead in this. Because here's the truth. Do we really know what somebody deserves or doesn't deserve? I'm going to point also that Asaph made some conclusions, right? And we've probably done this ourselves. I know I've done this. It's like, They've got all this good happening and nothing bad. But I don't, I don't walk in their shoes. I don't read their email. I don't go to their work. I don't, I don't live with their spouse. I don't raise their kids. Like, I don't know what they're going through at home. 
Asaph's looking from the outside, and he's going, they've got it all good. It's all good. And here's the thing. Maybe sometimes it is all good for somebody, even though they're wicked. The Bible says that the, the sun shines on the wicked and the, and the, and the righteous. Like, God provides for, for both. It, sometimes they do have it great. But here's the reality. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes, sometimes life is horrible for them, and I think it's great for them. And I'm resenting something because I just see the good, and I don't see, I don't see all the crud that they're dealing with. And in the end, it doesn't really matter if they have good and no crud or lots of crud. And I just don't see it. In the end, I'm going to have to just trust that God is just, that God does what is right. And then if God wants to bless them, let them be blessed. Let me rejoice with those who are rejoicing instead of resenting that. Because a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And Asaph says, you know what? God, I trust you. You decide whatever needs to happen in somebody else's life. And let me now just focus on my own. But as for me, it's, it's good to be near God. Oh, the, the good that I was overlooking. I, I was thinking I needed more good in my life, but no, 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 no. It's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. Another ref, idea for refuge, like safe place. Another way to understand a safe place is a, a place of peace. Asaph is like, I, I found peace and a heart at peace gives life to the body and envy rots the bones. And I, I've done that path before. I don't want to go back. Now I'm going to tell of, I'm going to tell of all your deeds. Asaph said, I'm no longer overlooking the good in my own life. I now see that <laughs> I've got it better than I ever deserved. I've got the Lord. As we celebrate the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us, may we be reminded of his presence. And as we're reminded of his presence, may we be reminded of his provision. If we're going to avoid the ugly sweater of being gangrene with envy, here's the thing, here's the takeaway for today. We've got to embrace the beauty of peace by finding contentment in God's presence and provision, by Him being with us. And as a scripture writer was overtaken with just the, the wonder of it all, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the peace that that provides, that we can walk with him, that we can have a relationship with him, and that in him we have everything we need and way more than we deserve. Let me give you an exercise to help make this application maybe a little more practical. Asaph ends by saying, I will tell of all your good deeds. 
Now, I think it's great to, to share in our Christmas letters or, or however else we may want to do it, what God has done good in our life. Okay, I, think, I think there can be something good about that. I, I think, though, that if we're not careful, it can be our way of, of bragging and saying, look at how awesome I am, look at how awesome my kids are, or whatever. Not that that would be our motive, but if we're not careful, it can be. And as good Christians, we cloak it in saying, I thank God that. So whether or not you do that, I'm going to trust that you will invite the Holy Spirit into that, that process of how you tell of God's goodness in your life, how you tell of that to others. But here's where I think it always should start and where it should always end is us telling God. Us telling God what we recognize that we're not overlooking his goodness in our own life. And I think we do that in, in two different categories. We think of God's presence and we think of God's provision. What do we have in Christ because God is with us. And so here's what I want you to do. My gift to you today is a moment of silence. To reflect on God's goodness in your own life. And as you reflect on God's goodness in your own life, to thank Him first for what His presence means to you, whether that means that you're, you're just, you're not alone. That there's safety in his presence. That there's comfort in his presence. That there's guidance in his presence. And no doubt that you can think of as the Holy Spirit helps you to see what God has done in your life, what his presence in your life, what Emmanuel, God with us, and personalizing that, Emmanuel, God with you, what that means to you. And that you can thank him for that. But also thanking God for his provision, whether it's providing spiritually, forgiveness of sins, the, the hope of eternity, providing for your daily needs, that you thank God for those. So if you would, take this gift, that I'm offering to you as a moment of silence to reflect on his goodness and to give him thanks.
Lord God, you were so good to us. You have given us way, way more than we ever could deserve. That's what Christmas is all about. It's God so loved a lost, broken, dying world that individually, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus would come to earth That he would submit and surrender by becoming a man, dying on a cross for our sins. That we could experience peace with you, the forgiveness of our sins. And that as we experience peace with you, we could experience the peace that only you can provide, that peace that passes all understanding. that gift of something internally that we can possess that is independent of anything externally. Thank you, Lord. May we experience your peace this Christmas season by embracing and finding contentment in your presence and your provision. As I'm praying, I'm wondering. Esau said, I have found refuge in you. And I can't help but wondering today if there's somebody that's maybe here or listening online that has yet to really find refuge in the Lord. You've been seeking peace. You've been seeking assurance on your own. Maybe you've been trying to, to earn salvation, trying to be a good person, hoping that you're good enough, but deep down inside knowing that you're not. That today would be the day that you receive the greatest gift, the gift of the Christ of Christmas, that your sins would be forgiven, that you would find refuge in him. Shelter in the one who takes away the guilt and shame of our sin, that your life would be hidden in Christ. And if that's your desire, I would encourage you to pray something along these lines. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm in a sinner in need of a savior. And I confess today that you are that Savior. I believe that you came, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you have risen again. I now give you my life, and I receive your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, as we continue in prayer, Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. We thank you for your presence, that we don't go through this life alone, 
that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you, Lord, for your provision, the provision of salvation, the provision of our daily bread, the provision of all that we have, which is more than we could ever ask or really hope for because it is certainly more than what we deserve. But in your great love, you have given. And so we just simply say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray this in and for your name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to try to light this peace candle one more time. As you stand, if you're able, and we worship the Lord.